Many people think, well, a vegan diet is just amazing. But what guarantee do you have when you go vegan that your diet will be healthier? So we looked into the diet quality on a vegan diet and let's explore what we found. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us coast to coast in the U.S. and in more than 150 countries. Hi to everyone listening in Columbus, Ohio, Plano, Texas, and Poulsen, Czech Republic. We appreciate you all helping to make the world a healthier place. This is episode 73 of season 5, number 372 overall. And it's kind of a hodgepodge episode today, going to be covering a couple of different topics. And we will be starting with an interesting study that's a really good follow-up to a conversation that we had with Dr. Neil Barnard on the last episode, where we looked at diet scores and how they have changed over the last 30 years. How much healthier are we today than we were back then. So this new study that we'll be talking about today is one that we actually did here at the Physicians Committee. And this one looks at how a person's overall diet quality score improves after they've adopted a low-fat vegan diet. So we're going to be zeroing in on a low-fat vegan diet. So what happens then? Well, lead researcher Dr. Hanna Kaliova she was responsible for leading a team of researchers who crunched those numbers, and she's here to tell us all about it. And then we will be joined by Dr. Vanita Rahman, who will be telling us not about how a vegan diet can improve your overall diet quality score, but how a vegan diet can improve your miserable menopause symptoms, specifically hot flashes. How much improvement can you see in just a matter of weeks? Well, Dr. Rahman has a new program, and coming up, we're going to be talking all about that. Plus, we will be lifting the curtain on a new segment here on the exam room, something that I like to call five-star success. And that is something that will put your own success in the spotlight right here on the show. But we start with Dr. Hanna Kaliova and the study on going vegan and quantifying just how much healthier your diet can become. Dr. Kaliova, thanks so very much for being here. Thanks for having me, Chuck. Really interesting topic. I'm curious about this one because I think as we have seen this explosion of interest in eating a plant-based diet, we've also seen this explosion of products in grocery stores, a lot of which people would say, well, that's not necessarily healthy. So what did you guys discover in terms of when people go vegan, the effect that has on their diet? You're exactly right. Um, you know, many people think, well, a vegan diet is just amazing. Uh, but what guarantee uh, do you have when you go vegan that your diet will be healthier? Uh, well, so we looked into the diet quality on a, on a vegan diet. Uh, and let's explore what we found. Uh, let me share my screen with you. Got it right there. Yeah. So we know that a vegan diet is amazing. It's great for your health. It's great for the animals and also for the environment. 
And yet, when we talk about the, um, the health aspects, many of the, the opponents of vegan diets say, well, but wait a minute, we cannot recommend to everyone to go vegan because they will eat a lot of junk food. Uh, so, you know, when, when you go vegan, um, what guarantee do you have that, you, that people will actually eat the healthy diet and not the junk? So this is something we looked into. Uh, how do you even define the diet quality? It turns out uh, that, the researcher, uh, that the researchers at Harvard Medical School invented a tool that may be useful, which is called the Alternate Healthy Eating Index, uh, all, or the AHEI. Um, and they updated the index. So um, the updated version is from, from the year 2010. And the idea is just let's um, give positive points to people uh, for eating healthy foods and negative points for eating unhealthy foods. Uh, the healthy foods are the fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes and nuts and seeds as, as sources of um healthy fats. And the unhealthy foods uh, in this particular uh, index uh, are the red and processed meats, the sodas, sources of trans fats, although they have been gradually eliminated from, uh, from our diet, there's still some processed foods uh, that contain them. And also, also sources of sodium in our diet, such as cheese and olives and potato chips. So these would be the unhealthy foods. Uh, and we use this particular index uh, when um, when people you know when when people go vegan. So we uh, conducted a randomized clinical trial uh, and took 244 overweight adults. And we assigned them randomly uh, to either follow a low-fat vegan diet that consisted of fruits and vegetables and grains and legumes for 16 weeks, or the other half of the, of the participants stayed on their usual diet for 16 weeks. And now we measured the diet quality uh, using the alternate healthy eating index that I just described. And what did we find out? Uh, what happened to people who went vegan? What happened to their diet quality? It turns out that the diet quality significantly improved on the vegan diet uh, by seven points, which was more than 10%. Uh, and this is good news, right? Uh, we, the, the junk food was not necessarily forbidden on the vegan diet. We were encouraging them to eat to make the healthy options, um, but they were still allowed to eat um, eat sugar, for example, and um, eat processed foods. And yet, without any um, any attempts to improve their diet quality, um, the diet quality actually improved. This improvement in diet quality was also associated with their weight loss their improvement in body composition because they were losing uh, most of their weight loss was due to fat loss. 
uh, and also improvements in insulin sensitivity. So the improvement in diet quality had really implications for their cardiometabolic health and their weight management. Now, the second question is, when people switch to a vegan diet, when they start eating fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes, um, what out of these foods will tip the scales the most? That means, which of the foods are most important for weight loss? Is it the foods that you don't eat that are the animal foods? on a vegan diet or is it the foods that you actually eat on a vegan diet which one which foods are the most important ones and we found out there were two main predictors of weight loss on on a vegan diet uh, while all of the foods are excellent that you that you eat on a vegan diet fruits and grains and legumes and vegetables all of them are great but some of them seem to be uh, more important for weight loss than others So the number one predictor of weight loss uh, was not eating any meat. No meat, no poultry, no fish. That was the number one predictor of weight loss. And the second most important predictor of weight loss was eating your beans. Your beans and lentils and peas and all the legumes. Uh, So... uh, Both are important, not only not eating the meat and the junk, uh, but also eating the healthy stuff, particularly when it comes to beans um, that are a superfood based on uh, our research study findings. Uh, So let me unshare my screen again and uh, turn it over to you, Chuck. That's a really interesting finding uh, here, and uh, I'm glad that uh, you did this study. A um, couple of quick follow-up questions for you. Uh, number one, right away, I noticed that fruit juices were considered to be unhealthy. Um, a lot of people would say, well, orange juice, I drink that every morning with my breakfast. That's healthy, right? Why are fruit juices categorized as unhealthy for the purposes of this study? Uh, That's a great question. Uh, For this particular index, uh, the researchers decided to group uh, fruit juice among the unhealthy foods, but we can definitely have a discussion. Uh, When you squeeze out your orange juice in the morning, uh, it's much different from, um, you know, sugary drink that has only 12% of orange juice. Uh, So you need to be distinguishing between these. Uh, But generally speaking, uh, there is a controversy. Um, Another aspect to consider is that, let's say you want to eat one glass of orange juice every single morning. Uh, One aspect to consider is that many people tend to overdo it with with the orange juice. First of all, um, they don't usually drink uh, the orange juice that's freshly squeezed. Uh, They buy it, uh, you know, in a a Tetra pack. Uh, And um, that way, uh, the nutrient content and also the fiber content is not so great. You usually... Most of the fruit juices um, that you can buy in a grocery store are devoid of fiber. And yet you can you can find some brands that include the pulp. 
So those would include the fiber and would be healthier options. So there is a variety uh, among the fruit juice um, products. Uh, the best ones would be the ones that you, you make at home, uh, you know, freshly squeezed, or even a smoothie where you put whole fruit uh, and uh, don't get rid of the fiber. And I want to ask you more about the guidance that uh, you gave the study participants here. Um, you said that you encourage them to eat a healthier diet, as healthy as possible, but you didn't strictly forbid, um, I guess, indulgent type of foods, shall <laughs> we say. Um, so what exactly did that guidance look like? What, you know, I'm assuming because there was that freedom, there weren't specific menus, but what exactly did that look like? That's exactly right. Uh, we gave them only two basic rules. Uh, number one, eat only vegan foods. No animal foods, no meat, no dairy, no cheese, no eggs. Uh, stick to the vegan foods. Uh, and we emphasize the power plate. Um, that means the fruits and vegetables and whole grains and legumes as the guidance. Uh, so that's rule number one. Rule number two is keep your fat content really low, up to 30 grams uh, of fat per day. And when, when you're going to a, a fresh produce section, uh, that doesn't mean much. You can just pick any fruits and vegetables that you'd like. You, you just need to be careful about the avocados and about the nuts. Uh, but when, when it comes to processed foods, when, when it's in a can or in the frozen section, you need to check the fat content uh, and make sure that in one portion there is no more than three grams of fat. And when you add the fat content up, uh, it would be up to 30 grams per day. So these are the two basic rules, only vegan foods and keep the diet low fat. And note that we didn't say don't eat any sugar and don't eat any sodium, don't put any salt on your popcorn. No, we didn't say that at all. So, uh, you know, um, des desserts were still in on this diet. Um, <laughs> popcorn was in. Um, and we can discuss, like, were these, you know, completely healthy options or was it a compromise? Well, who knows? But also, who cares? Because their diet quality improved significantly, uh, even without forbidding them uh, any of these foods. Yeah, I'm sure that the uh, study participants, uh, if they weren't already plant-based, they didn't really know what it truly meant to go vegan. If you leave those foods on the table, I'm sure that they were breathing whoo, that <laughs> sigh of relief, you know? Um, did you also, though, give them specific recipes um, or at least recipe ideas that they may want to consider? Or was it really, these are your only two restrictions flat out and you're on your own to figure figure out what it is that you're going to eat? Uh, we gave them some guidance and some recipes. You can find plenty of recipes on our PCRM website. Uh, so those are the recipes that we were recommending. Uh, also, when those uh, those of you who are interested in, in the weight loss, the book that we used for this particular program was Dr. Barnard's 21-day um, vegan kickstart, the weight loss kickstart. 
so that's a book that will kind of guide you through what's important in weight loss um, and give you give you some recipe ideas. And uh, I want to ask you about the two big predictors for weight loss. You said it was taking meat out of your diet and f replacing that essentially with beans. Yeah. Uh, so beans are good. Meat is bad in terms of weight loss. Um, for the meat specifically, is that just because a lot of times it's so filled with fat, it's so filled with cholesterols, it's calorically dense that naturally when somebody takes that out of their diet, uh, they're going to see some improvement on the scale? That's exactly right, Chuck. Uh, we see the same thing, for example, for the risk of diabetes. Uh, when you're supposed to pick just one food that would increase the risk of diabetes the most, it's not sugar. <laughs> it's meat. It's processed and red meat. And we see the same for weight management. Meat, taking, taking meat out, out of your diet is just the single one uh, most important predictor of weight loss. Uh, red and processed meat, are they the bigger villains here than other uh, meats yeah. as well? That's correct. Uh -huh. yeah. uh, the other animal foods were also associated, um, you know, taking, taking out the other animal foods also improved the, the weight management. Uh, but the what tipped the scales the most was uh, taking meat out of the diet. I'm surprised that cheese didn't make the list. Did, did you guys get an opportunity to crunch those numbers? Because I mean, cheese is just about as calorically dense as it gets. Yeah, exactly. We analyzed uh, we analyzed uh, dairy in general, uh, low fat dairy and full fat dairy. Um, we were not able to analyze cheese specifically. And you're completely right. If we were able to make that distinction, most probably cheese would make the list also. And uh, just housekeeping here in terms of beans, um, is it is it because it's kind of the exact opposite of meat, whereas meat mm -hmm. has a lot of fat, a lot of calories, but zero fiber? Uh, beans have a lot of fiber, but not a lot of fat, not nearly as many calories. That's right. Uh, and why were beans, you know, the single one predictor on, on a vegan diet, uh, you know, in terms of the foods that people were eating? Well, uh, probably it's because of the low cons consumption of beans to start with. Uh, while uh, we should be consuming uh, at least half a cup of beans every single day, uh, most people don't eat that amount even in a month. <laughs> so the low consumption at start, uh, at the outset of the study, uh, probably made the biggest difference uh, on a vegan diet when people started incorporating the beans in the, in their diet. Did, I mean, the whole you just said most people don't eat a half a cup right. of beans in an entire month. Yeah. That is amazing. I mean, not in a good way amazing, but amazing nonetheless. Yeah, exactly. People just are not used to eating e eating their beans. Uh, many people uh, get uh, some discomfort after eating beans. So they're like, you know what, this is not my most favorite food. And um, yeah, this is just an overlooked quality um, item that people don't think of many times when, when they look at their diet.
Yeah, man. It's it's just when people go plant-based, they start introducing all of these healthier foods into their diet. Um, you know, the the microbiome down there kind of does somersaults. And so that's where that discomfort comes from, as I understand it. Yeah. But, you know, eventually things settle down. Uh, everything gets back on kilter, as it were. And you're able to handle those mega doses of fiber eating that much healthier diet. So if you can just get over that two-week hump or so, um, you're going to be in much, much, much better shape there. Yeah. Um, did, did people report having less discomfort as the study went on? Absolutely. Uh Sometimes uh, some people can just jump in and increase their bean intake immediately and, um, you know, no discomfort at all. Uh, some people may have some gassiness or other gastrointestinal symptoms, and it may take a few weeks to fully adjust uh, to the new diet. But eventually all these, um, all these symptoms go away and uh, people are feeling great. And last question I have for you, what was the age range for these participants? Uh, that's an important question. These were people in their 60s, in their 50s and 60s. When, yeah, exactly. These were, the lead. Yeah, wow. these were not college kids that were <laughs> eager to make a change in their diet. These were people who, uh, you know, gained some weight over time and they were like, you know what, I don't want to continue like this. Uh, would a vegan diet be helpful? Uh, could it make a difference in my case? Uh, I mean, I've tried several diets by now, and I usually regained even more than what I lost. So uh, is there something a vegan diet could do for me? So this is the kind of people that we recruited for the study. Man, I bet they were super grateful after this one was over. Were they not? I mean, my goodness. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. It just goes to show, you know, it's never too late. I, I always worry that, you know, people over the age of 40 kind of throw in the towel. They mm. think, eh, metabolism is shot. There's just no way that my body could ever get back on a healthier track. So I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. But here you have people in their 50s and their 60s having all of this success on the show many, many, many episodes we've talked about, mm -hmm. you know, people in their 70s, their 80s, even a 90 some odd year old woman uh, who went vegan and was suddenly able to walk a couple of miles a day. Yeah. I mean, like that's it's it's just incredible um, how sensitive our bodies can be in terms of the fuel that we put in it. So if you put that healthier fuel in, I mean, some really remarkable things can happen. And in this case, you're talking about your diet quality pretty much automatically improving and the numbers on the scale coming down in a much healthier direction. So very important findings, Dr. Kaliova. Appreciate you being here. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. If you would like to see the data that Dr. Kaliova was talking about in action and really be able to visualize all of those numbers, that interview will go live on YouTube on Friday, September 30th. So set a reminder, it will go live at noon Eastern that day on the Physicians Committee's YouTube page. Now, maybe also try visualizing this as well. Just indulge me for a second, and if you can, close your eyes. And now think back to what it was that you were eating before you went vegan. And now think about what it is that you are eating today. You probably see a huge difference there. 
And you don't even need to determine the exact diet score like Dr. Kaliova was able to do. You don't need to know those specific numbers to know that your diet has in fact climbed the health ladder. There is no doubt about that. It is time now to lift the curtain on a brand new segment here on The Examiner. It's something that I like to call five-star success. Here's how this works. Just leave a five-star review and a nice word about the show and your own health journey wherever it is that you subscribe to The Exam Room. So that can be Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Podcasts, wherever it is that you get your shows. Leave that five-star rating and the nice review and a comment about the successes that you've had about how improving your diet has improved your quality of life, or maybe it can be as simple as how just listening to the show has raised your health IQ as well as your spirits. So something positive to make all of the exam roomies feel good, and then I will take that comment and I will read it right here on the show. So we're gonna start with a five-star rating and review from Leslie in the UK. And Leslie wrote, I am addicted to this podcast. It has inspired me to eat whole food plant-based. When you have all of this knowledge that they share, how can you not eat a healthier diet? Thank you for that nice comment there, Leslie. I agree. Knowledge is power and the power comes from your diet. And then UK Nas also left a nice five-star review. And they said, great podcast packed with information about nutrition and health that is backed with science. Thank you for this incredible free information-packed interview. Well, you are more than welcome, my friend. Thank you for that great review. And yes, evidence-based science and credibility. Those are the key components of this show, along with, of course, a lot of inspiration and amazing facts, right? But credibility is everything because when it comes to improving your health and what it is that you are willing to do for your body and to your body, everything that you're doing should be backed up with evidence-based science. And that is what we are chock full of right here on this show. So thank you both very much for your kind comments. And if you would like to leave your own five-star success story, I want to hear about your own incredible transformations. Go ahead, leave that five-star review right now on Apple Podcast or Spotify, wherever it is that you get your shows. And believe it or not, not only could this be read right here on the show, I guarantee you that that five-star review your five-star success will help spread this information worldwide. Still to come here on The Exam Room today, a dreadful dairy study that is a heartbreaker for heart patients. But right now, Dr. Vanita Rahman and Hot Flashes, how you might find that within just a matter of weeks, going vegan might be your ticket to sweet relief. Good to see you again. Thank you, Chuck. Great to be here. As a guy, I don't really understand. Well, I will never truly understand what a hot flash feels like, but I will say from everything that I have learned on the show, 
all of the women I have talked to who have suffered from them. Uh, they are absolutely horrific. And then to hear that four out of five women will suffer from them at some point during their life. I just, that just doesn't sound like a whole heck of a lot of fun to me, Dr. Rahman. No, no, I don't think any woman would describe them as fun. <laughs> So talk to me about this program here. Let me pull this up uh, on the screen for those of you who are watching on Facebook or YouTube. If you're hearing this on the podcast, hop over to the Physicians Committee's YouTube page uh, to check this out. Here it is, Hot Flash Free and Strong. It's a 12-week uh, online nutrition program that you uh, have helped put together. Um, hot flashes, I'm assuming uh, they strike for much longer than 12 weeks. So how much benefit can come over the course of this roughly three months? Yeah, so you know, hot flashes, as you said, will impact four out of five women as they transition through menopause. And currently, we don't have really great treatments for them, uh, other than hormone replacement therapy, which has its own set of problems. So um, this is a great way for women to tackle hot flashes with nutrition. Um, simple lifestyle changes that, you know, not only benefit hot flashes, but can benefit them for life. And to answer your questions, 12 weeks, we feel that's, that's long enough to make significant changes in one's diet and to start to notice significant improvement. You know, in the research that was done, many women started to see improvements after six to eight weeks. That is huge. Uh, so six to eight weeks, that, that seems like a, a, a really good investment here. And you're giving them 12 weeks to really make sure that they get mm -hmm. all of that information there. Um, we said at the top that four out of five women, so up to 80% uh, will suffer from hot flashes at some point. If people were to really make some changes to their diet, focus on the lifestyle, focus on a lot of the things that you're going to be talking about throughout the course of those 12 weeks. How much in your estimation would that number tumble? It's 80% today. What could it be uh, if everybody were to follow these suggestions? Well, you know, in the research that the Physicians Committee has done, women who followed a low-fat vegan diet and supplemented with soybeans, the majority of them noticed significant improvement. And the majority of women that were having moderate to severe hot flashes no longer had them. So the impact can be quite profound. Let's talk about uh, what it is you will be talking about here in the program. So you're talking about introducing the idea of eating an exclusively plant-based diet. Um, there's some intricacies that come along with that. So uh, as the 12 weeks unfold, what can women expect to learn? Well, first they can learn, first they'll learn what hot flashes are, what causes them, what is the current treatment and what are some nutrition um, based approaches that can work for them. And then not only are we going to teach them this very simple way of tackling it, um, but we're going to give them lots of practical tips. So, you know, we recommend soybeans, but what do you do with soybeans? How do you cook them? How do you enjoy them? Where do you get them? Um, so we're going to do a lot of cooking demos and then answer all those other questions that come up with, um, you know, nutrition interventions like how many carbs or how much protein or will I get all the nutrients I need? And then we know that women who are transitioning through menopause, hot flashes are an issue, but there are other issues they may be facing. They may be wanting to lose weight or they may be want to reduce their blood sugar or cholesterol or blood pressure or decrease the risk of dementia or stroke or heart disease. And of course, women's health issues. So we're going to 
try to really address all of that in the program. That's a lot to cram into 12 weeks. I'd be excited about that for sure. Um, so let's talk about uh, hot flashes really quickly. Uh, number one, uh, and I know that this is something that you will be addressing in the program, uh, but what are they and typically how long do they last? Yeah, so you know, normally let's say we um, are suddenly exposed to hot air or we suddenly burst into a jog or a run or a sprint. Our body heats up and then uh, as it does, our body wants to cool itself down. And to do that, our blood vessels dilate. So instead of being narrow, they open up and that helps cool us. We may start to perspire and then all of that serves to reduce our core body temperature. Now, what's happening with hot flashes is that the body's overreacting to otherwise really small changes in temperature, you know, and, and I'm sort of making this up to illustrate a point, maybe normally a five degree temperature change would require that here, it could just be like half a degree. So our body sort of overreacts and we do the same thing. This, this, the blood vessels dilate and that feels like someone just cranked up the heat in the house and women will find they break into a sweat um, and then within a few minutes, they start to cool down and now they may actually feel the opposite They're They may even start to shiver because they've cooled down too much. So this cycle lasts about two to four minutes for most women. And it can repeat once an hour or once a day. Everyone's a little bit different and they often happen at night disrupting sleep, which as you can imagine, without a good night's sleep, it's much harder to get through the day. I would imagine so. Uh, I, I think that every person on the face of the earth knows that uh, they can be a little bit cranky pants if they're not getting that uh, <laughs> good good shut eye here. Uh, makes getting through the day a little bit more difficult. Um, I was having a conversation, Dr. Rahman, with somebody close to me recently, and we were talking about, you know, th they were like, well, look, you know, a flash is a flash. It is a short term thing. Um, but this person also, though, was hot all the time. And, you know, they're about at that age where, um, you would think menopause might be creeping in and, um, so they may experience hot flashes, but this person is hot always. So when somebody's hot, always like that, are they just warm blooded? And this is not necessarily a hot flash, or maybe that's symptomatic of, of something else. Or could it be that, you know, some people don't have hot flashes for four minutes, but instead they have them for 40. Right. Well, the typical hot flash will last two to four minutes. And after that, it's like everything settles down in the body, but those two to four minutes are pretty uncomfortable. And then women go from being really hot to now maybe being sweaty and drenched in perspiration, um, having to change their clothes. Someone who's feeling hot all the time, that could be something different. That could be if they're maybe producing too much thyroid hormone or taking too much thyroid hormone. So if someone is always feeling like they're feeling warmer than others around them, um, but not in these discrete episodes, I would recommend getting that checked out with their healthcare provider to see if there's anything else that needs to be addressed. And really quickly here, uh, in terms of things that are contributing to hot flashes, uh, I want to I want to stick specifically here with diet. What is it specifically with um, animal proteins, eating a lot of meat, eating a lot of dairy that may wind up being a contributor to hot flashes? Or is it more of a case of, well, we got to keep the fat low or a third option? Is it a combination of the two of those? I suspect it's probably the combination of all three that's causing this. And 
what is it about animal-based foods that makes it worse? Is it um, the high fat content? Is it the weight gain? Is it a combination? We don't know exactly. And that's sometimes one of the challenges with nutrition research. We can't pinpoint the exact thing, but we can start observing these trends that eating a certain way can lead to significant health improvement. All right. And here's the deal. Uh, this this program, it kicks off uh, very soon. There it is right there on the screen. Thursday, September 29th, running uh, all the way uh, almost to the holidays there, December 22nd, uh, Thursday evenings at 645 Eastern. So that's pretty convenient, whether you're East Coast or you're West Coast, you can probably fit that into your schedule. If you're on the West Coast, just duck out a little bit early from work. You'll be fine. You'll be absolutely fine. Um, so a uh, 12-week program. And I believe I saw, this is very exciting for me, uh, Dr. Christy Cobb uh, is is participating in this program. She is a pistol. I love me some Dr. Christy Cobb. Every time that she's been on the show, um, I have felt really, really enthused and left just kind of laughing to myself. Um, so I'm really happy that she's going to be able to bring her own brand of uh, plant-based health to this as well. So I think that it's a 12-week program that's just going to be really awesome and offer a whole lot of help. And Dr. Rahman, if people are interested in signing up, what we're going to do right now is include a link to that in the show description uh, or in the episode notes. So if you're in the podcast, go to the, the episode notes. If you're viewing this on Facebook or YouTube, just look in the show description right now and you'll have the link right there to sign up. So uh, I wish you and uh, Karen Smith, wonderful dietitian, and of course, Dr. Barnard and Dr. Christy Cobb, all the, the luck in the world and to everybody that signs up. I hope that you all reap the benefits from this. And uh, my hat is off to you for putting together another fantastic program, Dr. Ramon. Thanks for being here. Oh, thank you, Jack. And, and I just want to make a little plug here for Dr. Christy Kopp. She's great. And she's going to be talking about another topic that women are sometimes uncomfortable to bring up, which is sexual changes that happen around this time. So we're just going to go for it and bring it all out there and discuss and really help women just enjoy all aspects of their health. Oh, that's that Dr. Cobb. Like I said, her own brand, she brings it and she brings it really well. Uh, I, lo I love me some Christy Cobb, so I'm really excited. Uh, uh, please do go sign up for this program today. Get yourself some very sweet relief. Um, it's out there to be had. And Dr. Rahman, you are definitely the conduit to that relief. So thank you very much for your time today. Thank you, Chuck. Always good to speak with you. There is a link to Dr. Ramon's program right now in the episode notes. You know, one of my great pleasures since hosting this show has been connecting with you all throughout the world and throughout the pandemic. We've been able to do that largely on a virtual basis, whether it's on social media or during the live show on Wednesdays or via email. But recently, I had the opportunity to meet so many of you in person at Green Fair Organic Cafe in Herndon, Virginia. It was a sold out crowd that night. It was so cool. I had the opportunity to talk about what makes food so darn addictive and what a roller coaster ride it has been for me to be able to come out on top of this battle. And let me tell you something, the food that night, because Taco Bell was such a huge part of my story, it was actually Mexican night 
at Green Fair Organic Cafe and the food was out of this world. And so what we were able to do is go in and talk about how addictive fast food, Mexican fast food would be compared to the food that was being served that night that is whole food, plant-based and SOS free. You wanna talk about a night and day comparison. That was it, my friends. So it was a really cool opportunity to meet so many of you guys and just be face to face for a change. It was refreshing. I don't know really how else to, to put that. And coming up, we're gonna be doing a lot more of that. Albany, New York. I will be emceeing a comedy show with vegan comedian Mike Kaplan on September 30th. That will be at Co-host Music Hall. And then Sunday, October 2nd, I will be speaking at the Albany Veg Fest at the Albany Capital Center. I'm taking the stage at 11.15 and shortly thereafter, T. Colin Campbell will also be speaking. And then Denver, Colorado, headed your way October 20th through the 22nd for the Level Up with Leia retreat at the gorgeous Kempton Monaco Hotel. I'm going to be speaking there and we'll be joining everyone for a hike at Red Rocks as well. That's October 20th through the 22nd. And then Percival, Virginia on October 30th at the Loudon Veg Fest. A beautiful time of the year to be out in that countryside, just about an hour and a half outside of the nation's capital. I'm going to be speaking that day as well. It would be so great to be able to meet you in person. If you are in the area and are interested in joining us, there is a link and ticket information for all of the events right now in the episode notes. And yes, just like the doctors who we speak with here on the show, we love making rounds here at the exam room as well. So if you are interested in having me come speak at your event or even hosting a live taping of the show, send me a message on Twitter or Facebook or Instagram. I'm at Chuck Carroll WLC in all places. It would be great to hear from you. Now let's take a trip to the exam room news desk. Heart doctors today are falling out of love with milk after a new study offers a scathing indictment against dairy and cardiovascular disease. The more dairy you eat, the more milk you drink, the more you are putting yourself at risk. Those are the findings of a Norwegian study published in the European Journal of Preventative Cardiology that looked at the effects of dairy on close to 2,000 patients with cardiovascular disease. The findings show the risk of having a stroke or dying from a cardiovascular-related event increases in tandem with increased amounts of dairy food and milk in a person's diet. The same can be said for dying of any cause, according to researchers who track the diets of heart patients for up to 14 years. But it's unclear whether dairy or overall diet quality was the bigger factor. Researchers say those who consume the most dairy also tended to consume the least amount of fruits and vegetables and potatoes. There is a link to the study right now in the episode notes. So an interesting follow-up to this, it appears that some forms of dairy may actually be worse than others. For example, specific to acute myocardial infarctions, or what you and I would call a heart attack, there was no clear relationship between the overall risk and the total amount of dairy that's in a person's diet. However, 
when drilling down deeper, the results did show the risk shot up when researchers looked specifically at butter. It showed the more a person spread it on their toast, the more butter was used in any of their cooking, the higher their risk became of having a heart attack. So there is more research to be done here, definitely some mixed results. But as Dr. Andrew Friedman from National Jewish Health in Denver told MedPage today, quote, there's enough signal in the noise to draw the conclusion that higher fat dairy products, the number one source of saturated fat in our diet, are probably not going to be helpful to human health and heart health in particular. Good to hear from him. I always like him when Dr. Freeman comes on the show. He's always has such interesting things to say. Coming up on the next episode of The Exam Room Live, another interesting man with interesting things to say. Dr. Will Bolsowitz is back to answer your gut health questions. And this, my friend, would be a great time to ask how dairy is messing with your microbiome. So join us live this Wednesday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube or on Facebook, or send me your questions ahead of time at Chuck Carroll, WLC, on Twitter and Instagram. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you once again to Drs. Hannah Kaliova and Vanita Rahman for being here and helping to raise our health IQs. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>